Lab. I'm Anna, and you are listening to Fangirl Happy Hour for Tuesday, April 21, 2015. On today's show, we start with another graphic novel, and this time we take a look at Pretty Deadly by Kelly Sue DeConnick and artist Emma Rios. Then, it's time to take a look at awards, including the tip tree and clock lists. And no, we will not talk about the heroes. Maybe. Finally, we read our second romance novel on the show, No Proper Lady by Isabel Cooper. With me today to talk about all of those things is my fellow finger, Renee. Hello, Renee. Hey. How are you? I'm doing okay. Good? Pretty Fantastic. good. Uh, do you have anything you want to talk about in this intro? Well, the last episode when we discussed Bone Gap, I actually went and wrote a huge review of it because I was not done having uh, emotions. So I wrote more words. So in case, and it's not spoilery, it doesn't have explicit spoilers for the plot like our segment did, so I'm going to put it in the show notes, and if people didn't get to listen to the episode because of the spoilers, they can go read my review and then decide whether they want to read it, which the answer should be yes, I don't know, that's a debate, you should definitely read it. Definitely. I agree. <laughs> yes, and your review is actually excellent, so... Thank what, you, when, thank when, you very when, much. When are your reviews not excellent? Well, a lot of the time, Never. actually. <laughs> no, I love your reviews, I love your voice. <laughs> so, yes, I'm a fan girl. <laughs> okay, so let's move on. Officially described as a dark mythological western, Pretty Deadly is a creator-owned comic written by Kelly Sue DeConnick of Capital Marvel fame and with art by Emma Rios. Pretty Deadly follows Death's own daughter, known as Death Face Ginny, and Sissy, a young storyteller who wears a vulture's cloak, and they cross paths in a dark story of vengeance, redemption, and possibly the end of the world. Renee, please tell me you love this as much as I did. I liked oh, it a oh little. Oh my god, silence. I don't like this silence. I liked it a little. Oh my god, why? I was so confused. Okay. <laughs> okay. Number I, I one, like... the art was confusing. It was so hard for me to follow. It was like these all these long, flowy lines. And I'm like, my brain is confused. I'm lost. So the art style blocked me from a lot like i had to read this thing twice i was confused both times i'm like what's happening in these panels i was confused was it just me it was just me i guess no i don't think it was just you at all i, I was actually checking reviews on goodreads today um to get a description official description of the novel and uh the vast majority of people said they were confused as well so it was definitely just not just you I don't know then what, what it is. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it because it wasn't confusing to me at all. Maybe it's because it's it's a Western and it's a mythological thing, right? And I, I think I have a lot of experience with those, that everything just seemed follow, to be following a path that I knew. It was very familiar to me. And I felt like I knew where the story was going and I was right. So maybe it was familiarity that I had. Pretty Daddy reminded me so much of The Sandman. Have you ever read The Sandman, the graphic novels from uh, New Gaiman? No. Right, okay, so this is one... Oh, my God. <laughs> I, just bro I broke you again. <laughs> I, have the first, I have the first huge volume that Zach bought me as a present. These are simply my favorite things of all time. Do you know how expensive this comic is to buy, Anna? Uh, Sandman. Yes. It's expensive. It's. I know. I need to sell. I, I need to sell both my kidneys, and then I won't have any kidneys anymore. So what's what that, am I supposed to do? That's how I started book smuggling. Remember? Because buying these, 
buying these but, comics? Buy, yeah. Buying Sand Man because they were so expensive. So yes, they are my favorite stories. And Pretty Daddy reminded me a lot of it. And I was trying to, to figure out why. And I think that there is the, you know, the archetypes, the figure of death, the figure of the storyteller, the, the, the spirit of the world, the things that happen outside and inside, and the arc that all the characters were following towards that one specific ending that actually connects to the beginning of the story and with the two narrators who are like a butterfly and a bunny, which is kind of like really beautiful. And I loved the art as well. It's like there is nothing that get, gets me going more than beautiful women dressed as gunslingers doing kickassing. It just, I loved it. You're so I easy. Loved, I, lo- I am so easy. I loved every single female character here, including the mother or beauty and the way that she, she was just fighting all of these men. Death and the guy. Okay, the story is separate from my issue with the art, i.e. I had trouble following the story itself, no matter how the words were on the page, because I didn't understand what was happening in the art. There would be panels where I was just like, that just looks like somebody fucking scribbled in this square. And I was like, what the fuck is happening in this panel? I can't tell. It looks like a three-year-old drew it. That's what I'm talking about when I say that the art confused me. The story didn't confuse me. I could follow the story, even though I have some tro- some problems with some of the follow through there was some of the backstory the connect like the uh, i wasn't making some of the connections i guess that they wanted me to pick up but okay. the art itself was so <laughs> confusing it was i think it was just like the, the it, it was really airy and not i'm really bad at critiquing art i have this conversation with era all the time where i'm like i'm just shitty at critiquing art how do you get better at it and they go you have to do it a lot i'm like oh god it's hard so make a point let's make a point to always talk about art when talk about the about art when I talk about graphic novels. I just found it really hard to parse. Does that make sense? I, I it couldn't does. feel it does. I couldn't feel like the, the characters would be moving and I would be like and I would be going, What are you doing? What is this happening on the is this is that oh you're raising your arm. Okay, well it looks like your arm just fell out of its socket. Uh, like I don't know. I just, isn't that weird? Because you liked it a lot, but I was I just kinda like oh. I loved I loved the art. I thought it was impacting. I thought it was moving. It's, no, it's really pretty art. I just had a lot of trouble figuring out what it was doing half the time. And so it really blocked me from getting through the story. I had to read it twice. Okay. And my art is separate from the story issues. I liked the story. It was good. I didn't know where it was going because I'm not familiar with like fairy tales and mythology. I notably almost failed my mythology class in university. <laughs> Go me. <laughs> I just found it really not fun. And I missed all, like, the the Greek mythology. I missed all that, too. Okay. I missed everything. (laughs) This is embarrassing. My biggest problem with the story, which was otherwise entertaining, was I didn't get why. They gave Sissy a piece of paper, which, before she could read it, burned it. But why did they give her the paper? What was the paper about? Why... Why was it important that she read it? Why did he give? Why did Johnny Cody give it to her? Right. Okay. So I think the only the only thing that doesn't make sense is that in the story, and it also doesn't make sense to me the role of Johnny Coyote, and it's like in a way the whole story is really good in terms of diversity, right? So you have lots of people of color here, but then you have Johnny Coyote because it's a western, so inevitably. 
I connected Johnny Coyote with the Coyote, the trickster figure from uh, Native American Yeah, that's what uh, I got cultures, too. Right? Yeah. So why was this guy like a white dude, a Native American? Obviously? I don't know. What was up with his raven? Molly? Molly Raven? She seemed to know the most what was going on and happening. I'm like, why don't you well, explain you, it to well, us? That would be great. What the hell is happening? Yeah, it's a weird combination because the raven usually appears in, in mythology as a figure that knows everything. It's connected to knowledge, it's connected to uh, foreboarding. There were lots of ravens in the Sandman. There are lots of ravens in Norse mythology as well. And kind of like you can connect the coyote figure with Loki as well. But, you know, ravens are connected to Odin, not Loki. So it was the most confusing character to me. Just didn't seem to serve a role. Also, I got really confused about Alice, who she was, what she was doing. Why she I kept getting like killed for no reason, killed for no reason, and then she got killed and then put back together, and then she went back and, and totally ineffectually got killed again. And I was like, What is yes. your point? I'm really well, I confused. Think, I think the point is that Death was going kind of crazy and losing his shit, and he just kept sending this gunslinger after Ginny. And she had no choice but to do that. That was That's how I read that. I completely agree that it might also have been superfluous, the way that she kept being killed. We just talked about two things that didn't work, and still I loved this, like, <laughs> a lot. I did really like the framing that they used of the little skeleton bunny yeah, and, the and the butterfly. butterfly. Yeah. I still don't know who killed the bunny. I don't think... Had the bunny? Was it important that we show how the bunny died? I don't think so. <laughs> that's think the most that's the most startling. That was the most startling image of this whole comic and it happens at the very beginning where you're like, "Oh, this is pretty. This is sort of pretty. I wonder what this is about." Bam! Uh, buddy <laughs> shot in the head. Have an eyeball falling out of a skull. That's... I don't think so. I think they're more archetypical images connected to the world and the life of world of the world, I guess. But I don't know. I I, lo- I really love stories about death. <laughs> oh about, well, okay. Yeah, I really, I yeah, it's about the figure death in the underworld, and you can kind of connect that with um, Hades and Persephone as well. It's kind of a similar story. Hades, the the the, the god of the underworld, um, also falls in love with the human, or kind of human, and um, kind of entraps her. But she kind of like. Lo- loves him back but in this story the person that he loves doesn't love him back at all and uh and i kind of like really like the subversion of that story and like i said in the sandman as well you have those archetypes of of death of dream of destiny and i feel that this was sort of followed here as well then i like and i loved um not genie what's cc as well her role i just i saw from early on who she was and what she was supposed to be. And I was just because of the way that the story was going. Obviously she had something important about her. And then when they started going after her, I said, there is something. And then they started, and then death started talking about the end and how he didn't want to be replaced. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's, that's who she is. It's interesting that you, it's interesting that it wasn't Jeannie who was going to replace him, his own 
daughter. But I kind of like she's she's more of a reaper than death itself. I don't know. I just I just really love stories like and I am a sucker for westerns. Always liked westerns. I'm, I haven't read a lot of it. I really need to read Preacher, which I hear it's very good, and I and I've and I've seen compared to this as well. But I've loved um, movies since I was a child. Uh, I haven't watched any western in years because I have avoided co- the, the, that confrontation <laughs> with my history and my past because I don't know how well they they have. Um, survived the test of time, but wow. let's not. I spent my entire childhood watching westerns, and yeah, my house was filled with Louis L'Amour books because that's all my dad will read. He will uh-huh. literally not read anything else but Louis L'Amour, and I'm like, I could give you some, I could give you some recs of some good books that are like. That. He's like, no, like, okay, <laughs> dad, fine. He only wants to read Louis L'Amour, so I hope that. Is that guy dead? Is he being ghostwritten yet? I really hope they get a ghostwriter because otherwise, if that guy dies, then my my dad might never read again. <laughs> so yeah, I it was impossible for me to escape westerns because that's all my dad would like read and watch as movies. But I, do you like them? Did you like? Them? No, I didn't because I was I was a really weird kid. Like I was always overly empathetic, so I would watch these movies where the Indians were the bad guys, and. I'd be like, well, why are these heroes being so, being such dicks to these Indians? <laughs> and it took me until, you know, I, you know, I went to school and started getting, uh, started taking history classes to figure out, oh, that's why I was, I, I was just pinging on the complete and utter horrible colonialism that was in these. Oh my God, I really don't want to go back and watch that. So uh, that's what I was, like, I, my baby me was picking up on, the, it was making me really uncomfortable. That's what I was picking up on. Good job, baby me. Good job. I'm a little iffy about westerns on on that score, but this uh, this graphic novel was really nice. There was a lot of different uh, different kinds of characters, which was actually true to life. Surprise! It's not yes. all white people on the frontier. Good no, job. and also I liked I liked to see um, women in roles that you usually see men. They are they were the gunslingers. They were the ones going after people. It's just I I love that kind of imagery. I think that's what I like most about Western is the figure of the gunslinger, the, the 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 Lone Ranger. One of my favorite movies of all time, one that I haven't watched in years as well, is Once Upon a Time in the West. I don't know how the race politics playing that movie or the um, gender politics playing that movie does. I don't remember or I don't want to remember. But even the 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 music of that movie is one that has followed me. My entire life by Ennio Morricone doesn't have to, anything to do with the story itself, but it's kind of something that's always at the back of my mind, if you know what I mean. So I was reading this, I was I was having this really beautiful connect on, connection with part of my own history because I'm huge into mythology. I've loved Sandman, I loved westerns, and it's kind of really good kickback to a moment in my time but kind of like upgraded because of the female characters and the diversity. So this is why I loved it. And I just cannot wait for volume two. There's no news about it, though. I was like trolling the Internet, trying to find something, but there is nothing so far. I know that she's working on it. I find it funny that we keep reading these things that tackle the idea of commodification of women because this we did it we did it with bone gap and then we did it here yes. again with 
the man who puts a woman who is beautiful on a tower to keep her away from everybody else. Yes. And then yep. death comes along and goes, hey, uh, I'm going to do the same thing except worse. Have a baby. That doesn't... Mm. There was some yeah. there was some rapey undertones in this graphic novel. Absolutely. Absolutely terrible. But death was a terrible person because he was kind of fed up even with his work as well. He was trying to destroy the world because he couldn't have this woman or something like that. Well, I wouldn't say no to reading more of it because I think after the second time through, I finally, I finally got on a level with the art where I could sort of figure out what was happening. And like worst case scenario, I can just be like, hey, Zach, you liked this because I think he read Pretty Deadly before me. And, All right. And he liked it a lot. So I could just go to him and be like, what's happening in this panel? Because it looks like crayon scribbles. Help me out. <laughs> that would be okay. This sounds like a plan. Yes. Collecting Issues 1 to 5, Pretty Deadly Volume 1 was released in April 2014 and is available from your retailer of choice. If you enjoyed it, join us as we eagerly await for Volume 2. At least I do. In the meantime, make sure to check out the comics Tumblr on prettydeadlycomic.tumblr.com. It's award season. With the Hugo shortlist announced without a hitch a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> yes, we are only joking, it's time to turn our eyes to other shortlists and winners, especially the Nebulas, the Tip Tree, and the Clark Awards. So, Renee, awards. Surprisingly, I'm only invested in one award, and it's having some trouble this year, so... <laughs> we weren't going to talk we about We said it. we weren't, but it's hard to avoid it. There are it's tons of other SF awards, right? There's tons. Yes, but I think I think what makes the Hugos more relatable to us is that we get to participate. Uh, because most of the other ones are either juried awards, like the Clark Awards, or awards that are chosen only if you are like the nebulas if you are only if you are a member of the um science fiction writers of america right yes so i think the hugos are the only ones that i mean there is there is a level of commitment that you have to have to be able to participate in the hugos which is that you need to become a member of worldcom to be able to nominate but at least a supporting member there are yes. others. There's a Gimel Award, which is for fantasy. Oh, and then yes, there's the Locus so Award, where anybody can, um, not I think, vote. I'm not sure about nominating, but I know that you can at least vote. But your vote only counts like half if you're not a subscriber. Yes, Which exactly. I found and, and the Gimel is like a big fantasy, and I'm not that huge. <laughs> Into fantasy. Yeah, well, no, in- fantasy, yes, but not epic fantasy. It's just like, so yeah, so the Hugos were like our awards, Right. And yeah, and it's really hard to branch out to other awards when mostly what you're doing is just waiting to see what the jury decides. Yeah, wow. Which is not that exciting, honestly. No. Sorry, award people. Yeah, so this since this whole thing with the Hugos and, and how we are both engaged with that particular award, I mean, think about how do we see these lists and, and how do we use them if we use them and why. What is the use of awards to you? Mostly I use them to figure out what's critically important. I don't use awards as like a popular... If I want to know what's popular, I can just go to Goodreads or Amazon. And they're going to... Like, the algorithms there will tell me what's popular. Or I can go to Mars and Noble and look at what people, publishers are paying to put on the shelves. I don't really need awards to tell me what's popular. What I want awards to do is tell me what people are talking about in a critical capacity outside the mainstream. 
but then at the same time, though, that is not what the Hugo Awards do. I mean, it does in some capacity, but it's still a popularity contest. Well, with the Hugos, a lot of people are focused on what George R. R. Martin calls the big one, the best yes. novel. But And yes, that's how I was introduced. But over the past like 10 years, what's become important to me and the Hugos are the down ballot stuff. Honestly, the, the fan, the fan, the fan awards, the yeah. dramatic presentation, the short fiction, where I can't, I, I can't get, you're not going to find that stuff discussed mainstream. I want to know what smaller communities are talking about. And I think that other awards do, uh, do that, do a really good job of talking about a selection of books that may not get the same spotlight. Yeah, that that they would get in Amazon or Goodreads. Mm-hmm. Yes, the Nebias are a little iffy here because it's definitely a that's definitely a writers' award. That's your peers voting on your work, so they're a little different, and that's exactly what I'm looking for. If I want to know what you know, actual SF writers are thinking about the field, it's a really useful list. Otherwise, when we're talking about critical reactions and books that aren't getting like mainstream attention, it's other award lists that I'm going to pay attention to. So, so for example, then the first day that we had the Hugo ballot, we also got the Tip Tree awarded. Do you have anything to say about that list? I've, I see a couple of books that I have read and loved, and they include the honor list. Um, I haven't read the two winners, The Girl in the Road by Monica Barn and My Real Children by Joe Walsh. I haven't read those, I, although I am about to start reading The Girl in the Road. I have not read any of them, actually, which is really embarrassing. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. I was really surprised when that list came out. I tried Ascension. I bounced off really hard over the writing. Oh, that's interesting. I love that book. Okay. I didn't even get far enough to tell if I would like the book because I bounced off the writing. Okay. The writing Fair just enough. felt really weird. I was going to try it when I was in a different mood because I think I was in a weird... Because I had just come off some... I had just come off some really, like, super mainstream space opera, so I... Um, the other ones on my list are Elysium by Jennifer Marie Brissett, because you recommended it to me. You told yes, me that I would really like it. Yes, it's excellent. I was really happy to see it here. Kaleidoscope by Elisa. Also, and, and Julia yeah. Rios. Uh, my also friend KJ excellent. is reading this right now. And yeah. she doesn't she doesn't read a lot of short fiction, but she's liking it a lot. And she keeps it's, talking to me about it. And she's like, it's really the good. Story, seriously, Renee, the stories are amazing. I loved everything about this anthology. And so and, that's really the only ones I'm familiar with. I mean, Lagoon, which is on my yeah. list, but it's not published here yet. I'm still waiting on it to be published. Lagoon was one of my top ten last year, and it was on my Hugo nominating ballot. And I feel like this, I, I really want to see the stats uh, for the Hugo Awards, because I feel like Lagoon had a really good chance at being one of the nominees this year. But at least it's not out in the US yet, which means that it's eligible, I think, I'm pretty sure, for next year. So, if we even have a Hugo Award anymore. Anyway. <laughs> it's always going to go back to the Hugo Awards. Yes, I know. Everything leads, leads to the Hugos. Okay, right. So then we have the Clark Award as well, which will be awarded on May 6th. And I th- the Clark Award is the British award right for or for science fiction novels that have been published in the uk and i feel like this list is a very british list in the way that it reflects really well the books that i saw being talked about last year in the uk oh well with the clark award i mean it was on my radar i didn't really note it until they had all that drama over the gender. Yes, there was, I think a couple of years ago, there yeah, was, there was 
It was no not good. Not. That's how it, put, yeah. it got put on my radar. But now they're really transparent. They post all the books that were submitted to them. Yeah. For consideration. Their lists have been pretty strong. This list is really interesting because it doesn't have Ancillary Sword on it. No. It yeah. doesn't have... There was another book that I thought might be on here, but is it? It doesn't I'm... have Lagoon, for example. I was really surprised about that. Yeah, but I can't think of what the title is. I expected it to be on the list, but not getting the title. But it does have want... Station Eleven. Everybody read Station Eleven. It's so good. <laughs> I know that they love the girl with all the gifts, and also Station Eleven. The only one that I read was the first Fifteen Lies of Harry August, and I didn't like that at all. Really, uh, I have her on my list for another book called Touch. Yes. Two things. Uh, I really didn't like the book. I don't think I don't think the narrative worked that well. In the end, when certain things are revealed, I don't think it stands well within its own internal logic. But I also don't think I am a huge fan of this author's writing. I know that she writes under another name. I think it's Kate Griffin. She writes urban fantasy. And I also don't like those books a lot so i kind of feel like me and this author are kind of like not on the same you know not on the same wavelength it's okay. yeah it exactly. it's fine yeah absolutely fine it's not for me absolutely i do think that this book had problems but obviously a lot of people have loved it and you know it is now critically uplifted by this award i guess like I said, Thea loves the girl with all the gifts uh it was one of her top 10 last year it's gonna be a movie Station Eleven was also optioned as a film. A book that I see here, and I see in the tip tree, and I see in the Kitchies and the Philip K. Dick. It's the only one that appeared in all of those awards is The Memory of Water by Amy Taranta. You, you also included a review of that book in Speculative Fiction 2014, I think written by Justin. Yeah, written by Justin Landon on Tor.com. Yeah. He, he was really, he really liked this book and he pushed yeah. it. But then nobody paid attention except for, like, the UK scene and, uh, like, other critics. Yes, exactly. It seemed but like in... the community just ignored it. Yeah, but because it's in the Tree Award list, I want to read it now. Sorry, Justin. <laughs> oh, ouch. Burn. So that, that one has me intrigued. So what else appears in multiple lists? We have a Ancillary Sword appearing on the BSFA, Hugo, and the Nebula lists. And last year, Ancillary Justice appeared and won. Yeah, I did like the triple crown of SF awards, right? It did Nebula, Hugo, and Clark, right? Yeah. And a bunch of other ones, too. Yeah, you got the Kitschies last year as well. So I'm not surprised to see Ancillary Sword on a bunch of lists. I was surprised not to... I was just really surprised not to see it on a Clark. I I was really confused. I'm like, really? Oh, okay. I mean, it's a good idea to, I think, widen your search, not just to repeatedly to award. Rip- yes. Yeah. Yes. But I just, it was just a real, it was a shock to not see it there when I thought it would definitely, definitely be there. Also because I think it is award-worthy. Yeah, no, I loved, I liked Ancillary Sword more than I liked Ancillary Justice. And you loved Ancillary and Justice. And I loved Ancillary Justice, so Lagoon also appeared on BSFA, Kitchies, and Tip Tree. So yeah. it got three nods. The Goblin Emperor, I'm glad to see in the Hugo and the Nebulas as well. I really loved that book. I really heard I heard really good things about the race by Nina Allen. I have a copy of that book. I really need to read it. Yeah, it's not yeah. doing it's not getting a lot is it out in the US? 
I don't think so. And it, it, it's a really small publisher here in the UK as well. Because I was looking at the awards, like the BSFA and the Kitchy, and I was like, oh, those are like British awards. In fact, a lot of the books, like all the awards on those lists are British awards, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, the Kitchy is the BSFA, uh, the Clark. Yeah, so that's interesting. Yeah. And, and then you have Elysium, again, appearing on the Philip K. Dick list and the Tip Tree. Uh, the Girl in the Road appears in the Kitchies and the Tip Tree, Europe in Autumn, which is David Hutchison. This is the only book that I haven't heard anything. Me too. I have not heard of this book I at just, all. This yeah, is the first time I've heard of this book when I saw these lists. All. And then again, the first 15 lives of Harry August, which appear on the BSFA and the Clark. So the yeah. BSFA, which was given out, unfortunately... This, uh, like with the tip tree, they got caught up in the Hugo drama, so yes, they got nobody. a little dr- got drowned out. The best novel for the Talked BSFA yes. was Ancillary Sword. I found this whole list interesting because I hadn't heard of any of the dudes on this list. Really? Yeah, yes. I recognized okay. the women, but the dudes. I was like, oops. Uh, <laughs> I think I, I think I knew about Wolves by name, but I didn't know the author. Maybe. Yeah. Lots of people loved that book in the UK. I've seen, I think, the guys from, um, I think, Strange Horizons had a review. That's what put it on my radar. And I know that the cover of that book was very striking, as was the cover of The Moon King, which is how I first heard about that book, was the cover. New Compress is, a, is I think, it's a newish press here in the UK is very small but it's already starting to earn awards and get really really good reviews of their books like The Race is from New Compress and I think if I'm not mistaken The Honey Trap which won the best short fiction is also from them. You were nominated for best short fiction? No I wasn't. Well your publisher <laughs> was. Yeah I guess. That yeah, counts. Uh, you own the publisher. You are the publisher. It's, it's, that's weird that's so weird that yes, you're the publisher the, yes one of the stories that we published last year was nominated for the for the bsfa award the muscle eater by octavia cage such a weird i was story. obvious i, I was it. obviously I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was obviously rooting for it obviously um, well i tried to, i'm sorry and i read this story i'm like i'm so confused <laughs> oh it's, a, it's just about a monster eating a dude yes amazing so bloody i love bloody okay (laughs) yeah so i was really proud Uh, so congratulations on your first nomination uh, yeah right one award yes first nomination congratulations to you and octavia (laughs) cade for making it yeah that's amazing congratulations to octavia i'm really proud of that story i'm really proud of octavia actually octavia cade is is an author that I would love people to read more of. She's her. got a novella out that I really am interested in. That I've trading, never... yeah. Trading Rosemary, it's amazing. I feel like she had a really good shot at getting nominated for a Hugo Award for that novella, and I'm gutted that I'm really. Yeah, I mean, to... I was on Rocket Talk, and I talked about how I thought she would maybe end up on the Campbell ballot. Because I was yeah. hearing so much about her uh, and her work. Exactly, her and Nessel Huang as well. Yeah, they both have. Ugh, also, one of my authors. Not that I'm biased. Or You're a little, I mean, 5% biased. It's fine. 5%. But, you know, it's, ugh, God, let's not 
go down that road again. Well, maybe I, we should. No, no, that's cool. We gotta move on. We're moving on. The Kitchies is another UK award founded by by Jared and Anne, Jared yeah. Sheeran and and Perry from Porno Kitch. And... and it's amazing that they they founded that award. And it's amazing how within a few years, it has already created this really good buzz around it. It's really well regarded as well. It's regarded as a proper, you know, critical, interesting award, at least here in the UK. And I think I've, I've seen like Tor.com picking up on the news about the kitchens as well. So it's, it's really, really cool, I think. It's really impressive. I'm really proud to be friends with Jared and Anne for creating this as well. They are not connected to it anymore. I think um, Jared passed on the running of the award to Glenn Mann last year, and I'm not sure if he's going to be running it this year again. It's another juried award as well. And it was awarded so, on March 4th. Yes. The winner was Grasshopper Jungle. Yeah, let's not, not, not talk about it. I was, I was actually, I'm sorry, Kichis, I love you, but I don't think that book is award worthy. I think it has such a huge problem with female characters that it cannot win. Is this the only list that the peripheral by William Gibson was on? As far as I can, yeah, because we don't. Have I mean, they might, I mean, they might be on other award lists we're not covering. But I thought that was really w- interesting because when that first came out, I heard everybody was like, "Oh, here we go! This is it's, all the awards are decided. William Gibson's published a novel." But it, then it feels like it's dropped like a rock, or maybe I just don't follow the right people. Well, maybe, and I haven't seen it reviewed a lot either. I've never read William Gibson, which I'm sure is a thing that it's gonna people I'm are gonna sure go what. They also uh, gave a they also gave a debut the Golden Tentacle their debut award yeah which is where um, the Memory of Water which ended up on all like four shortlists that we're covering uh, that it was it was there too it was awarded by in the Kitchies another book that has now been wrecked to me eight hundred times is The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers which was self published but now. Was picked up by Hodder. Yeah, they picked it up yeah. and they're going to publish it. They, it got a gorgeous cover. Yes. I was like, wow, that's a level up. Good yeah. job, Becky Chambers. It's amazing. I know, I know. I, I met her at Long Kong last year. And she was lovely. And she was talking about the book. And she was very, you know, unfazed. And she was like, yeah, self-published. It's a book about, like, a book of my heart. And then I think after talking to her... I think Jared picked up that book to read and he completely fell in love with it. And I think he started like this, you must read this, you must read this. Um, It was his favorite book of last year. Wow. Yeah, and he said that it's like the happiest kind of science fiction space opera kind of thing. So I'm really looking forward. We are going to be reading it, right? Yes, we are. We're going to read it because I begged you for a copy. So the Philip K. Dick Award is a really weird award, I guess, because it's only given for like paperbacks. Or something. I didn't know that. It was awarded on April 3rd. Again, another another award <laughs> caught underneath the, yeah. the the huge stomach foot of the Hugo Award. Uh, the book that won is called The Book of the Unnamed Midwife by Meg Ellison. It sounds really interesting. It sounds post-apocalyptic and like it deals with like feminism and motherhood and pregnancy, okay. I guess. Uh, Elysium was on this list as well. And then, then there was a... Then what really surprised me was to find um, Reach for Infinity by Jonathan Strahan on here. I really like this series because Edge of Infinity has Pat Cadigan's story, uh, The Girl Thing Who Went Out for Sushi, which won the Hugo Award, which was one of my favorite right, stories. Okay. 
I love that story. If you have not read The Girl Thing Who Went Out for Sushi, please go read that story. It's so great. You can find it in Edge of Infinity. The only one I read, well, apart from Elysium, I also read Maplecroft. Oh, did you like that? Yeah, it was fun. Not sure that's award worthy, but it was fun. <laughs> I'm sorry. I like I like she I like what I've read of Cherry Priest. I've read her. I actually really like her fiction as well. It's really fun. Bone Shaker, yeah. It just it's just a good time to read her stuff. Yes, it is. So the last so. award is the Nebulous, which are going to be awarded in June. I'm really curious as to how because uh, I've been following June. this blog called Chaos Horizon that has been doing like statistical analysis of who's likely to win the Hugo or Nebula awards. Obviously, all his work <laughs> has been undone because of the slate voting that oh happened in the Hugo. Oh my god, really? I'm, just, I'm so disappointed. Oh my god, like, this, oh, this poor guy. I know. All this amazing work. Can you imagine? I'm oh. so upset for him. Like, I'm so angry because I wanted to, like, that's really interesting work that he's doing. And now it's just been shit on. I'm like, good work, guys. Good work. So the Nebula Award, this which is the model that he has still available, that maybe will end up a little better, so we can see if what he's doing is actually like useful or uh, a bit like able to predict what's oh, going to or, happen. Yeah, or or just an interesting exercise that goes nowhere. Yeah, so I'm really interested to see what happens. So, so I'm really like fingers crossed for the Nebula Award. So really, I've been following this guy for how long now, and I just really want to see if it works. That's so, really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So the sh- the short the shortlist for the novel category the nebulas, uh, the Gallant Emperor by Catherine Addison, Trial by Fire by Charles E. Gannon, Insular Sword by Anne Lecky, The Three Body Problem. Uh, how do you pronounce his name properly? Somebody needs to tell me how to pronounce this guy's name. But I feel really embarrassed the, every time I mispronounce it. I am. I'm obviously. I'm using the pronunciation, the X pronunciation that we use in English. So I don't know. Yeah. If it's the same in Chinese. Well, Coming Home by Jack McDevitt. Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer. This is not actually a very surprising list. He got, I'm pretty sure he predicted some of these on his little thing. And I wonder how many of those would have made the Hugos as well. I I'm think... really, I really think the three body problem would have been there. Would have made, yeah. Because I, is... I just heard nothing. I just heard nothing but amazing things about this novel. I loved it. It wasn't one of my top ten. The from everybody critics and yeah. readers everybody loves this book so i so i'm really excited that Gollum emperor is here i really want the Gollum emperor to win this award do you <laughs> yes ancillary sword yeah i, I mean i'd be okay her. i'd be okay if if ancillary sword won obviously i love that book a lot but i also think she won it last year and it's better to break the momentum People who are part of awards can pick up a momentum, and then the momentum just keeps them winning when maybe not winning would award something else, and they would still she would still have the nomination, which is a really yeah. big honor. But then the award could go to somebody doing something different, but just as good. I mean, I understand if Ancillary Award wins, that's fine. I think that's a, a perfectly good decision. But I also think awarding the Gallant Emperor would be pretty excellent for the community yes. to do. Yeah, I love that book. Well. And I'm sure, like, Three Body Problem would also be a great winner. I haven't read yeah. it yet, but I've heard so many good things about it that I'm just like... Loved it. Yeah. That it's and doing the... so many great things and Thay, bringing in Thay new Thay voices. Really, re- I really loves the Jeff Mundermere series as well. Ira read that. <laughs> Ira read it and was like, that's weird. So it kind of knocked it off my list a little bit. Okay. All right. I haven't read a single one of the short fiction in this list. I haven't read anything except 
The Magician and the Laplace's Demon by Tom Crosshill. I actually highly recommend that story. Uh, it was on it was on my Hugo Ballad actually. I'm gonna take a look. Uh, I've read The Breath of War by Eliot de Bodard. I haven't. I was a little confused, honestly, about that story. But I mean, her running about family and about motherhood—it's always good. It's right? always really good. I just didn't yeah. grow. I didn't. I just wasn't grokking the. You, if you read it, you'll understand. I think what. Okay. The I wasn't grokking the conceit that she was using to frame these the things, the themes that she was dealing with. But I think you should read that story and let me know what you think. Okay. The. Obviously, the Ray Bradbury Award for Outstanding Dramatic Presentation should go to Captain America, dear Sifwa. P.S. There's only one right decision here, and that's the right decision. It's Captain America. I will forgive you if you choose Edge of Tomorrow or the Guardians of the Galaxy. Those are fine. If you give it to Interstellar, you're all fired. All of you. you Sifwa is disbanded if you give it to Interstellar. No, 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 they give it to Birdman, they are fired. I haven't seen that yet. It's on, it's, like, I have it. I have the DVD in there. I haven't watched it yet. No. <laughs> no. I refuse to entertain this idea. So, according, so, Fangirl Happy Hour rules, if Interstellar or Birdman win, this symbol is disbanded. Goodbye. Yes. <laughs> we have decreed it, and it must be so. So, uh, this is a category that you're actually going to be more familiar with, I thought, because of the YA, yes. the Andre Norton Award. Have you read? What have you read in here? I've read uh, Dirty Wings. Sarah McCary is excellent. I love her books. Um, both this one and our pretty songs were amazing. Uh, Green Glass House by Kate Mewford. Also excellent. Kate Mewford is actually one of my favorite authors. Uh, she's a middle grade author. All of her books are amazing. I wish she was um, better recognized. Hopefully with the nebulous people will be reading her. I tried to read Gloria O'Brien's History of the Future. I am a huge fan of A.S. King. I have read all of her books. But I didn't get on with the voice in this one. And I put it aside. Wow, I read that one. I read that whole way through in like a day. Did you like it? I liked everything but the science fictional conceit. That felt like like a poor man's handmaid's tale, if that makes sense. I would be interested to see what you think. Did Have you read any of her other books? I've read The Dust of a Hundred Dogs, which I really liked, actually. Oh, actually, that was the only one of her other books that I didn't like. That's interesting. I right? didn't I didn't like the voice in that one, I think. It was too right. cynical, I think, for me. And this yeah. one was a little like that, but toward the end of the book, it actually changes a bit. It's really... Once I hit the halfway point, I noticed the change in the voice of the, the narrator. It was pretty interesting to just to watch, actually, because it felt kind of like you were watching her grow up. I thought that was really well right. done. So that's so that so I mean it was okay. Okay, so I I didn't finish that one. Um, I just I for me I think it's a fluke because I I liked all of her other books apart from the first one, which is the Death of a Hundred Gods. But uh, please ignore Vera Dates. I think that's how you say her name. It's one of my favorite books of all time. Possibly. It's A.S. King as well. It's really good. I also tried to read The Strange and Beautiful Sorrows of Ava Lavender. And I hated it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's full. It's full of tragedy. It's tragedy porn. All the women are just tragic characters. And I just couldn't deal with it. And I, I know a lot of people loved it. The, the, the writing is beautiful. And I was like, no, I cannot deal with all of this. Sorry. So I stopped reading that one. I didn't read the other ones, although I read the first book in the Sarah Brennan 
um, series. I loved that. I I need to read the other two. Unmanned was my favorite. It was it was really good. Yeah, I'm really happy to see it here. Cool. And I hear the salvage is excellent. Yes, uh, Anna put that on my radar. Yes. And Same. I then I made my my brain buy it. <laughs> so I'm waiting for my library to get it. Those are good lists, I think. They are excellent lists. I'm really happy. I think what you're going to find is if you put all the short lists together, that's a really good place to start. Yes. But you had to put exactly. all of them together. You can't, I don't think it's useful to look at just one award. I think once you put them all beside each other, you can see a really good look at what the field is talking about. What, what I find really interesting, though, is that in this Andrew, Andrea Norton award, is that Grasshopper Jungle is not here. I was surprised not to see it here. That's interesting. It's not, is it? It's all women. Yeah. You know, it's a really good representation of YA. So that's it for the awards talk. We'll make sure to include links to all of the shortlists included here. If you have any thoughts on the Tip Tree, Clark, or um, the Hugos, do let us know. No Proper Lady by Isabel Cooper is a highly acclaimed romance novel first published in 2011 by source books Casablanca. It's a historical novel with science fiction elements, or possibly the other way around, also magic. And a super awesome exterminator lady who comes back from a post-apocalyptic future to save mankind and falls in love with a super nice guy after he teaches her how to dance. Renee, I loved this book. Please be gentle. Okay. I did not love this book as much as you did. I'm sorry. (laughs) Why not, Renee? Why not? Please tell me why not. So, uh, I don't know. Why is it because the the over-the-top thing with the the guy always... It's like the the over-the-top attraction writing, right? That was... It was super hardcore secondhand embarrassment. The, uh, The book was great. I liked the relationship between the two main characters. I really liked the relationship between Joan and Eleanor. It was just every time these two... I've forgotten the dude's name. That's not good. I just blanked on it. Simon. Every time Joan and Simon got together and they were attracted to each other, the writing would just immediately go to, like, physical descriptions of a... And I'm just like, this feels like a 13-year-old writing... This is fascinating. Oh my god, I I found (sighs) this so mild in comparison to other romances. It's not even that it was mild. Like, it's not even that... It's not even the explicitness. It was just the awkwardness in which it was written. It felt like these lines were just randomly dropped into text. They didn't flow with the rest of the text. I don't know if I'm making any sense. I don't know. I didn't think so. Well, I just found it super awkward. I was just like, okay. (laughs) It was just tonally weird. And I was just like, it's not attractive. It just sounds awkward. And I was like... Oh my god, I was so like turned on oh my god this is too much information i was so turned on by this by this book and i loved the attraction between them it was no it was fine it was the attraction itself was fine it's not the attraction it's not the relationship with the characters it's legit the writing i liked the writing about the attraction i was just like these and most of it was fine it was just these weird one-off lines and i would just have to stop and i would just get tossed out of the book (laughs) and i was just like okay wait i have to i have to take a break and then i would have to go back and it was fine. And also I was having a lot of trouble because it just didn't feel like it was going anywhere. And it was not until Joan and Eleanor have this little conversation with each other after Simon goes to London where they're alone and they have this conversation between them that I finally went, oh, okay. Now I am now I know like who these characters are and now I 
really sympathetic to what they're going through. And that's when I bought into the book. But it took until that scene, which was pretty far into the book. Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm more used to romance novels. Maybe. That might be it. Yeah, I was just like, I was immediately into it. I was like, I was having fun with, with the attraction between them, with the writing about the attraction between them. I mean, there's some over the top, you know, things like, for example, when whenever he, Simon went into the, his room to do that. Magic, was so creepy. I was he, like, dude, dude. He would get, he would like, like a hard on that he, he needed to control, not to jerk off or something. I was like, okay, like, dude, that's, a little, that's a little bit too much. Okay. God, really, oh, dude? Yeah. You can't control yourself? Take it down a notch. Take it down about yeah. a thousand percent. <laughs> Yeah, but at the same time, though, I find it really interesting is that in their relationship, they were very cautious around each other. They were obviously very attracted to each other, but they were also very respectful, right? Mm -hmm. And there is a point here that he asks for her consent, which is the same thing that happens in the first book that we, the first romance novel that we read. And I think that it's really interesting because one of the most common misconceptions about romance is that they are rapey. Well, that's and because I grew if, up reading nothing but them, no, and that's all I had access to. If there is an if there is an article about romance written by someone who doesn't know the genre very well, they will inevitably call it bodice ripper. Yeah, I mean, not anymore. Obviously, the the genre no. has grown. I mean, yes. I'm not yeah. trying to characterize romance now that way. I know no. it's out there, and that that's fine because that your kink is okay, guys. It's fine if it's no. fictional. And I realized that that's not how it is now. But just, like, the, the way I grew up, the access to the romance novels I had access to were often pretty rapey. Oh, you know, yeah. If you go back to the 70s and this, the, the 80s and even the early 90s, and, and I read a lot of old school uh, romance novels, they are quite bad in, in those terms. But I think the new generation, they are very attuned to feminism, to consent issues. And I think that it's really interesting that both novels that we chose to read for the podcast have this very explicitly stated within the novel. And I think it's really cool. I really loved that. I really loved how Joan and, and Simon related to each other. I cried at the end of this novel, okay? <laughs> I will tell you. When he thought that she was dead and gone and he was crying, I cannot, I cannot. No, I'm, I, yes, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I really like the second half of this book much better than the first. Yeah, I can see that. The first it took a while to get going because for a while that we didn't know exactly what was John's plan. And but you know, it's because the first part was really them having fun with the my fair lady concept. No, them trying to make her because she's from the future, right? And she comes back from the past. She's two hundred years in the future, and she goes back to Victorian times. And of course, there is this, that clash of. Everything, the mores of the time, the way that they treat women, and that, I think, I thought that those observations that she did about the way that the society dealt uh, with, with sexuality, with women, was really interesting. And, of course, she had to be taught how to behave. And that that was immensely fun to me, because I love books, books like that, just, you know, from, you know, you try to turn some... It's, 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 my, it's my fair lady... Me, Meets Exterminator, this novel. Basically amazing. So, uh, yeah. I don't know what My Fair Lady is. <gasps> what? I don't know what that is. Should I know what that is? Uh, it's that 60s musical with um, the woman that made that, that was in Breakfast in Tiffany's. Audrey well. Hepburn? 
Audrey Hepburn. Yes. Uh, okay. She... Well, okay. I know her. I just don't know what my fair lady is. Yeah. Okay. So my fair lady is she. She's a she's a poor girl. She sells flowers in the Covent Garden market, and there's this really posh guy who makes a bet with his friend that he could turn her in a into a society lady. So basically, he has to teach her how to speak, how to behave, and it's a musical, it's a romance. They end up together, blah blah blah. And that is based on the Pygmalion myth, which is uh, the guy that turns a statue into a lady and has to teach her everything. This is like a cultural black hole right now for me. I'm just like, <laughs> wow, I got nothing. <laughs> this is one of the most famous. I, I'm guessing you don't like musicals. No, I like musicals fine. I just... No, this is one of the most famous musicals of all time. Okay. It's that mu musical. I'm horrifying everybody right now as I go, what? Does this person, isn't this a pop culture <laughs> podcast? Why is this person pretending to be a pop culture anything? She knows nothing. No, but My Fair Lady is a musical from the 60s, so... Yeah, but my dad doesn't watch musicals. He controlled what I watched for, like, the early years no, of my no, life. No, why, why would you have to know? So... It's a music 60s, so... Like, I watch... Le legit, here's what I watched on TV, like, the first seven years of my life. News, Westerns, and WWE. What's WWE? Worldwide Wrestling. That's the... that that It's sport, like, sports entertainment. The fake wrestling. Okay. That's what I would watch. <laughs> like that's those are like, and maybe I would get to watch Fraggle Rock on HBO in the morning. Well, when I was twelve in Brazil, I didn't want to go out with my mom to do carnival and do things that teenagers do. I would stay at home and watch old Hollywood movies. So this is how I know all of this because I was that teenager who would stay at home watching movies. Man, I don't know. I, got, I would get yelled at too much. Of my mother. <laughs> I would get yelled at too much for staying inside. Yeah, no, that, that was no, that was no dragging me out to do beach, go to the beach. Go to the beach? Why? Yes. No, please. And let me just stay in and watch my black <laughs> and white movies, please. Okay, so now I'm going to have to go watch this, this musical, I guess. Yes. And maybe it will make more sense. Anyway, yes. So... Back to the book that we were discussing. My Fair Lady meets Exterminator. Maybe no one will get this. Maybe our listeners are all young people who haven't had a clue of what My Fair Lady or Exterminator is. Because Exterminator is actually quite old as well, isn't it? I don't know what Exterminator oh, is. I'm still trying. Are you trying? Are you, do you mean Terminator? Oh, shit. Yes, I do. <laughs> Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I thought you were talking that. about some random movie that, like, science fiction movie, and I no, thought about you know, a bug killer. <laughs> no, do you know what I did? Because that's the name in Portuguese. It's oh, name. okay. It's so an, I combined right. the Portuguese name with because no Terminator doesn't make sense to me in my head because it, it, it's they are exterminated. <laughs> so what is the what is the title of that movie in Portuguese? Is which Terminadora? Exterminator. That the 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 back translator. The back translation is so exterminated. So basically, oh I've been talking about the exterminator. You've been talking the duration of this. Party. I really think that we should be like, listen, guys, they have a new movie coming out. I really think they should just go and rename it Exterminator listen, Genesis I, right now. Even included that in the segment intro. So that's perfect. It's great. It's perfect. 
to our listeners for this. Uh, it is no, it's Portuguese. great. I think everybody's going to appreciate it's, it. It's my Portuguese coming through. Exterminator. So my friendly means Terminator for the last time. I was so confused. <laughs> well, no wonder. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. So now that I understand what you're talking about, <laughs> yes, I can see what you mean. That's a good description. Oh, I feel like we got, I feel like we both got an excellent pop culture education today. Yes, and language even. Everybody should go read this book because it's My Fair Lady Meets Terminator. Yes, exactly. And it's also paranormal romance. How I'm many genres like- is this book in? It's like time travel, paranormal romance, science it's like science fiction. It, it's like a. But it's also magic, right? So, and it's like historical. It's, yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's like it's and like it's like this author was like, I'm gonna take some genres and put them in a bag and shake them. Exactly Did you know that there are two sequels? There's two sequels to this. Set, set in the same world, but with different pairings for each novel. That's I'm gonna read them. <laughs> of course, you're gonna read them. I'm gonna read them. I thought this was brilliant. I kind of want to read them now, too. So, apparently there is a school of spies. Somewhere. Yeah, because in the book, they that's what they do, right? They, oh, wow, we spoiled this whole book. Congratulations, us. They, st- the, her whole they question up, to, yeah, her whole question to, like, the mystical being in Deathland or wherever she's floating at the end of the book goes, hey, what do you want to do? She's like, I want to stay here and create and, a school. And, yeah, exactly. So, it's sat in the school. So, I'm definitely going to read them. I just have one more one more comment to make. So basically, in this book, she comes back from the future, and uh, you know she she needs to prevent the future from ever happening. But she stays alive and well in the past. And we just spoiled the whole thing for you people. I'm sorry. If it's not really a spoiler because it's a romance novel. Romance novels always have happy endings. Anyway, she would never going to die. But if this was Back to the Future. Because she changed the future, she would have disappeared. I will always bring things back to back to the future. I don't under time travel is. I quit. <laughs> no to time I travel. I find it really interesting that we managed to reach quite a few tra- uh, time travel books. We keep doing this when I, <laughs> I have this horrible like I have this horrible track record with time travel stories and yet we keep engaging I'm in them i'm sorry i'm sorry you know what i want you know what i wanted after i finished this book i wanted the book about the sister eleanor i wanted her book i think i think one of the books will be with her really because if it is i need it <laughs> you need to let yeah. me know about it i really, I really loved their relationship as well i know it was so great that's what really got me into the book surprisingly it was not the romance first it was the relationship between joan and eleanor yeah, I was like, was yes, that was good. And so as soon as I saw how they interacted, I was like, okay, now I'm invested. Here we go. And that made it a lot easier for me to, I'm like, oh, I guess there's a reason to like Simon. And there was, like, later on. It took me a while to warm up to him, i.e. half the book. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I loved, Joan. I loved Joan a lot more than Simon as well. I forgot his name. So was, that's a sign. Nice. He was a nice guy. So, do we recommend this book? Do we give this our stamp of approval? I do. Okay. I give this a stamp that's very light. <laughs> Lightly stamped. 
No Proper Lady is widely available and it's the first in the Englefield series, which book featuring a different set of protagonists. You can learn more about it at www.isabelcooper.org. Recommendation time. Renee, you're up first. What do you have this week? I have two recommendations today. Oh, you are joking. No, but it's only because they're... It's only because they're interactive. They're interactive recommendations. The first is a short fiction recommendation project. I'm running it with Jody, my co-editor at Lady Business, Cecily, and Jonah to highlight really good short fiction. Since for myself, the sheer amount of short fiction can often make me just want to quit because there's so much of it. It's excessive. Before 2014 and 2015, there wasn't a really huge community of short fiction reviewers or critics. So only recently have I seen people starting to talk about short fiction, like the community talks about books. Uh, Cecily has a column on Skiffy and Fanti. Amal Elmotar reviews short fiction for Tor.com in her column Rich and Strange. Charles from Nerds with a Feather runs Quick Sip Reviews, where he covers a ton of magazines. Jody launched Short Business at Lady Business, and that's been a huge gateway for me. And then one of our friends on Dreamwith, Forest of Glory, is very widely read in short fiction, and she started talking about her short fiction favorites too, and that's been really important because it's really hard to decide what your tastes are in short fiction if you're having to like dig through everything yourself. It really helps to have people, like a community, right? That's why we read and review books in the community, because it really helps us find the things we like the best. So it's really easy. Um, you go to the forum, which we'll put in our show notes, and you drop in your five favorite science fiction and fantasy stories published between January 1st and March 31st of this year. In May, we'll post a huge rec list with links to the stories available online and the names of any anthologies if they're not available online. The last time I checked, we had about 26 people taking part so far with at least two recs each, so the final list is going to be really good. I'm excited. It's awesome. My second interactive recommendation... Women in Science Fiction and Fantasy Month launched on April 1st. It's run by Kristen from Fantasy Cafe. And this year we're once again doing our recommendation list for SF Books by Women. You can choose 10 SF Books by Women and submit them. And then after the project closes at the end of April, we'll combine all the recs made with all the recs already present on the list. We're out to create like a really solid resource for people looking for SF Books by Women because I constantly lament that I didn't have a list of SF like this as a baby SF fan. And then after you choose your books, you can go read all the great guest posts by, um, like, there's been Rachel Hartman, Jeremy Valentine, I think I saw Michelle Sagara, and several bloggers have come by and done guest posts. They're all really amazing writers, so I'd highly recommend you check that out. And as a general note, I hope everybody is prepared for the inevitable string of lists that I will ask you to fill out for the life of this podcast. I'm not sorry. Well, those are excellent recommendations. I will be the boring one and recommend a book surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I read a couple of days ago, and I actually posted my review today of a book called Infandus. I hope that's how you say that word by Elena K. Arnold. It's an excellent novel. It's contemporary young adult, and it's kind of in the tradition of other excellent YA novelists like Courtney Summers, Sarah McCary, uh, Bennett Madsen. It kind of like, it came to my attention because people who loved 
uh, Bone Gap by Laura Ruby, which we talked about in the last podcast, were saying that Infantus was a, a, a perfect companion, re companion reading to that novel. And I can see why. It has a lot of mythology. It has beautiful writing. It has a girl protagonist who is going through some really shitty things and trying to make sense of them. I'm not going to tell you exactly what it is about because it's a very short novel and anything that I tell you, it's very spoilerish. So I'm just going to leave the recommendation and say that if you like the writing of all of those people that I mentioned and also Rhiannon Thomas who did a Wicked, a wicked Thing that I recommended in a previous podcast as well also reminded me of her fiction. It's very feminist and it's beautiful and I highly recommend it. Infandus by Elena K. Arnold. Renee, thanks for talking with me this week. Thank you. You can find links to some of the things we discussed today at fangirlhappyhour.com or our Tumblr at fangirlhappyhour.tumblr.com. You can email us at fangirlhappyhour at gmail.com or find our Twitter feed at fangirlpodcast. If you enjoy listening to us, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you very much. For both myself and Renee, thank you for listening. See you next episode.